Welcome to Hotspot. I'm your host, Gabriel Monkow. Today, joining me as he always does is Mr. Philip Tran, my trusty co-host, as well as two special guests. We have Vitor Vicente. He was a previous guest on... What episode were you on? You were on Reminiscing, right? Episode four, the last episode. Yeah. Last episode, that's right. And uh, as well as Rudy, he was actually on our first episode. So we've got a bit of a yeah. duality there. The first episode and the latest uh, coming back to to join us on another episode. And this is a, an interesting one. This is actually one that we wanted to get out a couple weeks ago, but we've been on a bit of a hiatus regarding Hotspot. A lot of people on break, you know, over the holidays and whatnot, getting back on campus now. And finally, we can hop into it. Today, we're actually talking about something quite different than the rest of what we talked about, except for maybe the big tech episode where where we kind of glanced uh, over this topic, which is platform liability. And the whole idea is what is the role of platforms nowadays? How did we get here? And what do we think it should be? So I think a goodest place to start as any is we have to start with Section 230, right? Um, And for those who don't know, I can just quickly introduce the topic. Essentially, what we mean when we say platform liability is what was started by this law that was passed, which is Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. It was passed, what, in the late 90s or early 2000s or something? Um, Yeah, I think late 90s. And basically what it says is that a publisher or a a platform is not a publisher necessarily. So for example, YouTube, right? If you go and you upload a video on YouTube, YouTube is hosting your video, but they are not publishing your video. Uh, They are not responsible for the content that you put in your video. You are personally responsible for that content that you upload. So let's say you uploaded some video that everybody hates and it's, let's even say it's illegal. I don't know, well, legal is actually an interesting topic to talk about. But if if people have a problem with your video, you can't sue YouTube for hosting that video. You have to sue the person who uploaded it. And that's what the entirety of Section 230 says. You have to hold the individual accountable for their content on a platform, not the platform. And because of that, we have come to an interesting situation where platforms have the freedom to let users host a lot of what they want to. And they don't necessarily need to censor things because they don't have a ton of lawsuits on their hands. But that also means that it's sort of a gray area as to how much power they do have to censor users. And the more power they seem to take in that direction, the more people seem to call for them to be held as publishers um, as opposed to just platforms. So that's where I think we need to start off, right? Uh, Philip, do you want to sort of lead us into Section 230? Uh, Sure. I'll read the one part of it that I've taken out in a block quote, which says that no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. That probably sounds like gobbledygook to most people, but it's basically what Gabe had already reiterated, which is basically um, the platform is not liable for the content that the users are are, um, putting up there. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I don't think we need to get too into too much of the uh, the legal mumbo jumbo because the whole idea is to talk about this in an accessible manner, you know, so that we can all have a, a theoretical discussion about it. So, really, the question is, why did we get to where we are? Let's start there first. Uh, why do we think that this this sort of act needed to be passed? I mean, we're talking about a, a time when the internet is just starting off. You know, a lot of the websites, there's no monetization model yet. There's no business model for how you're going to run these ads and whatnot on the internet that has turned it into what it is today. When this law is passed, we're talking about the wild west of the internet, all right? You've got your chat boards. You've got maybe your early like MSNs or something. Um, you don't really you don't really have the same kind of internet that we have nowadays. So I think back then, especially, nobody could have really foreseen 
the internet that we have now. And I think from that perspective, it really makes sense to to give the internet a lot of space to grow and let them post things like this. Uh, so what do you guys think? Why, why do you think, what do you guys think of this as a starting point for the internet? Do you think that it was a good way to sort of kick off these platforms? Sure, I'll uh, I'll say something. Um, so I just did a quick Google. Yeah, I I didn't know what was the uh, the context for why it was created in the first place, right? And so, according to the Wikipedia, ironically, it's because it seems it's because uh, internet service providers lobbied for it because they they were sued for some content on the internet uh, in the '90s, and they're like, hey, it's not our problem. And then you know, since they lobbied for it, they got it passed for says, so, yeah, it's not their problem. It's the uh, the users who posted it. Uh, which which just so happened to I think like uh, to your point about the internet flourishing right then, it was definitely very helpful because you know if you're a small time business and you just made a website or something that's letting people post to it. Like, let's say Facebook right when it started, they don't have the money to hire like a a moderation team like right off the bat that would like really hinder um, their growth if like they had to you know vet every single person's post before it goes out to make sure it doesn't say anything offensive. Right, um, it's definitely uh, been useful for the internet to become, to help it become what it is today to allow it to grow. Um, but I don't want to jump too far in next in the next part of the conversation. So I'll let my Vitor talk about this. Definitely. I agree with that. And, uh, I think it was uh, crucial to give the internet the jumpstart it needed to be this freedom of information, um, hub for everything because if everybody was liable for everything nothing would ever get posted it'd be as simple as that so i i definitely agree that it was crucial for the start of the internet and in my opinion and without getting too much ahead it's still crucial now but you know yeah i think that was also something interesting about this whole conversation as we move forward is that i think we have a fairly one-sided approach here uh although i think most people that are sort of i don't know if i'd say tech specialists but in the tech fields uh would tend to agree with this approach uh, especially because we rely so much on these digital platforms for a lot of what we do so we kind of seem to have a view of what would happen if 230 wasn't around but we'll, we'll get there slowly but surely and and i think you guys are spot on i think the biggest thing that's that's interesting to me at least is I wasn't around back then the internet was starting off. I don't think any of us really were. I mean, maybe Rudy was kind of around. Yeah. I don't know how ancient Old you are. Boomer over Last here. episode, <laughs> we talked about Rudy building the pyramids in, you know, the ancient times yeah. in the other episode. We found out that you danced, I've seen which is very interesting. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Rudy, yeah. legend, man. Legendary. Um, so who knows? Maybe he created the internet. Maybe he was around back then. Um, but as far as I'm like, I, I can't really imagine... I, don't, I think people, when they think, especially our audience that's going to be watching this, it's it's probably pretty hard to picture the internet when when it was in its infancy, yeah. when this was passed, right? Especially if we're talking about ISPs that are lobbying for this. That shows that there was some sort of connection back then between ISPs and the actual content hosted on the internet, which really isn't something you think about nowadays anymore. ISPs are just the people that come into your home and set up your modem, and then you're like, all right, great, I hope I never see you again. If I do, it's because something is terribly wrong, <laughs> um, especially if yeah. you host by Comcast. Okay, I didn't say that. Um, uh, but, yeah, hey, Comcast. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm not, listen, I'm not amused. like three times worse company in America. All right. I, I don't know, dude. To, Comcast, more like mm, com crap. Oh, oh, you got him there. <laughs> yeah. Timestamp that. I'm kidding. Um, so, so I think it's really interesting that that you bring that up, Rudy, because that's something that we don't really think about nowadays. ISPs, in my mind at least, aren't even remotely connected to what's actually hosted on the internet. Uh, just because they are, they provide the connection to it. It's really not like they're responsible for that anymore. 
so from that kind of point of view, I suppose, we, we now have gotten to a point, right? We've got this, this act that gets passed. Uh, we've got ISPs that sort of represent the internet at the time. And we've got a very early internet as well. We've got one in which we've just got these chat boards. There's no business model for monetization yet. Um, and we start, we start growing. We've got these platforms that start coming out. We've got Facebook. We've got Google. Um, I don't, as I've said, I don't really know what was really around back then, but I'm sure that oh, it was those guys cities, that dude. worked their way like, up. Yeah, Geo dude, I don't know. Club Penguin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, very early days, yeah. Trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and now we we suddenly see that the internet isn't just this either inter-university thing or this military project or just this toy. It's It's growing really fast. We've got a lot of people on it. It might be monetizable. There's... There's this sort of shift from it just being this tool to it being this whole other world, almost, I think. Um, and with that, this act can be seen in quite a different light, I think, because it's not just this protection act for ISPs anymore. Now it's, now it's about the users. Uh, it's all about the users and what they can do. So I guess we can talk about that next, which is we get to this point, we've got these platforms now, it's defending these platforms, and it's all about the users, not the companies anymore when it comes to this act. What do you guys think that that sort of allowed for the internet to grow? We've talked about how it definitely helped give the, the internet a bit of a kickstart, but do you guys have anything in specific that you think wouldn't have been possible without this act, like what we have nowadays? I mean, I think so many things wouldn't be possible without Section 230, simply because um, if things had to be moderated the way, like if things had to be moderated strictly, um, you just wouldn't get the explosive growth that you've had for many services. Like imagine if, every GeoCities page had to be vetted. Like nobody has the time for that and certainly not the resources back then uh, for anything like that. Or like every MySpace page had to be vetted. Like nobody had the resources for those things. So Section 230 really just allowed these platforms to focus on one thing, which was user growth. And it led to basically what we have now, which is a huge internet where like billions of people are connecting to it every day and using it for something. Definitely. And on that note, stuff like YouTube, for example, if we had to have humans vetting every YouTube video, there's literally not enough human beings on earth to do that. So yeah. it would be impossible for platforms like YouTube that post a myriad of content, some good and some bad, to exist or to grow to what they've grown to today. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. And with that, I think we can jump into the present day. And there's a ton of stuff that we can talk about with how these platforms operate now. Um, and I think the the one that I want to touch on first is about the other part of what allows all of this to happen, which is sort of the business side. As we've talked about early on, it, the internet wasn't really a business proposition. Uh, at first, it was a research tool, then it became more of a communication tool, and then it became this whole other world. Now, the driving force behind all these companies, you've got your metadata. You've got your metadata revolution, really, where you can monetize the users and the users become the product as opposed to the website itself. That's how you are able to financially bank all of these websites and keep growing at this astounding rate. So without Section 230, that would undoubtedly be impossible. Um, you wouldn't be able to have nearly as much content as you have up right now. And not only would you not be able to have these websites with this much content, but you also wouldn't be able to monetize that content because it's just not there. So the internet would be way smaller from that perspective as well. But on the other hand, there's tons of problems with having this sort of metadata revolution uh, where you've got this almost predatory approach where you are selling the customer without them even being aware of it. There's no... Uh, 
legality over the actual data that you're creating. You don't own your data. The companies do. So what do we think about that? On the one hand, something like the Communications Decency Act allowed us to have this metadata approach. Uh, but on the other hand, it has some downsides too. Do you guys think it was overall a good thing? Do you think we would have been able to grow at a near rate if we didn't have this business model? What are some alternatives or anything like that? It's a bit of a tough question. Yeah, yeah just give like, us like one minute of silence to figure this one out. Of course. Gabe, stop posing well, such large post. questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a tough problem because like the, the, the alternative, right? Like the norm, normal business model is like you, you pay for what you use or like, let's say like you, you buy, you rent a movie it's or like a let's say Netflix, thing, you get a yeah. subscription, right? Imagine if you had to do that for like every single thing you use on the internet. Like you had like, oh, here's my Reddit subscription. Here's my Facebook subscription. Here's my YouTube subscription. All that exists. Um, but like all these like little things to like cover the cost of operating the website. Like in practice, people might only use like two or three websites at the most if they had to pay for every single one, right? Um, so I can't really imagine a business model otherwise. Um, like it would be cool if like you could like, you know, pay some fee and then not have ads, but then like, how do you ensure that like, you know, websites still get the the money to operate? Cause it's not like, it's not like everyone's going to be like, ah, sure. I'll pay like a thousand dollars a year to never have ads again. That's a, that's a little expensive. Um, but there, there are problems, right? Like, um, the, the, opaqueness of companies policies about like how metadata is handled or like how uh, advertisers use your data and like a lot of that is like you know you get you know like a 20 page terms of service written in legalese nobody's going to read it um which really you know, i feel like most of these things could easily be fixed by just having like you know in layman's terms here's what we're going to do with your data you don't need the you can still have the legalese but just like let people know what's going to happen that's like a possible solution you can do to fix the transparency issue um I don't know where I'm going with this. So someone else needs to save me. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely agree with like the the fact that nobody reads terms and services, and that's a huge issue because for me, the terms and services have sort of become this monster because they can't grow smaller, otherwise the companies get sued because they have to have legal text. And if they grow bigger, then people are just never going to read. Them. So we sort of reach the situation where somebody has to step in and say, "Okay, you can." Like Rudy was suggesting, you can have like a warning and then a full terms and services. And technically they accept the full terms and services, but the warning could have some legal value. So I think this is a mislegislative issue. And I have strong opinions on how the US in specific legislates technology and how they're not capable of doing it. But that's a whole other monster to tackle. Yeah, and I mean, we've started... At the end of the day, this is titled platform liability. So anything regarding the, the legality of how these platforms run is definitely relevant. Because as we've mentioned, we can't really think of a, a business approach that gets anywhere close, at least I can't, uh, of the growth and the way that the internet works nowadays. Like if it wasn't for this approach, I don't think that these tech companies would be anywhere near what they are nowadays. And the internet definitely wouldn't be either. I think Rudy's absolutely right there. And that also has an interesting second question that it begs, which is if we're saying that this approach is the only way that the internet works the way that it does nowadays. What if this approach doesn't work long-term? Um, what if that was to happen? And there's a couple of reasons why I think that might be a worry. For one, 
as we've talked about, this is only possible because of the Communications Decency Act. If we're now limiting the amount of content, we're essentially limiting the amount of revenue that you can get in because there's way less that you can monetize. So if something like this goes away, which is something we'll talk about later, the arguments for and against that, uh, we, we immediately halt a massive amount of growth uh, in this industry from the metadata side. And the other thing that worries me about as well is, is Rudy touched on this as well, the idea that you can just, you know, pay $1,000 and never see ads again, right? You don't need to do that anymore. What you have to do is you go to your extensions page and you install your uBlock Origin on your Google Chrome. And now you don't have to pay $1,000 and you also never see ads again. Uh, and we're starting to see some companies trying to work their way around that, like Twitch with their embedded ads and this and that. But even then, like people are finding their ways around that. And it's it's very difficult, I think, to enforce this. So more and more, we're seeing this business model that allowed the internet to flourish sort of, I think, be threatened in ways that people didn't expect. Uh, I think a lot of people were sort of caught up in this hype, essentially like the Silicon Valley hype, I guess, of, of, of building up this you know, ginormous new world. Um, and I, I do wonder whether we think that this is sustainable long-term because it's built on these, uh, these legality, this legality and these rules. Uh, what do you guys think on that? Yeah. Um, like when you say like a handled long term, like, do you mean like a, at some point, like the, the whole like ads model just like implodes on itself and like we can't do it anymore? Um, I think something might need to change if it's not going to implode. Like something needs to change about how we handle ad blockers. We need to get on the same page about how we're going to deal with liability and publishing and whatnot. Otherwise, I think this is threatened. I think in the case of ad blockers, like um, we're 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 a uh, what's it called like a niche like sample of the population. I think I think the vast majority of people either don't know about or don't care about ad blockers. Um, whereas like you know, like people who who care about it enough are going to do it anyway, right? Like you can't really prevent people from blocking ads. Um, if they want to. And I feel like the, the, the root issue there about like why ads are blocked is because like they, they can slow down performance of the web page. They're like too many and they're ugly, uh, they're useless and they like take your data, right? I feel like all four of those can be like addressed, like slowing down performance, just like make the ads better. That's an easy fix. Like too many, like just use a few like quality ads instead of like a bunch like of shit ones. And then, uh, like good data is the hard part, right? Is like recommending good stuff, which is I assume they're still trying to fix. Um, I already forgot the fourth thing I said. Uh, <laughs> Taking your data. Taking, taking your, your data. data. Yeah, and that, that comes back to yeah that that comes back to the whole like uh, transparency thing. I feel like it sh it shouldn't be that hard to say like, hey, we're going to take this data and we're going to use it for this purpose, and then you know opt out. If you if if that like bothers you or whatever, and like most people aren't going to opt out anyway in practice, um, so I don't know. I feel like the I, I don't I don't see like ads just like staying the way they are, and then just you know like a decade into the future everything just implodes because like the, as you said right like it's been evolving like they I've I've seen a lot on YouTube now of like the content is the ad where like they'll be paid to say something. And honestly, some, sometimes they're funny. Like if you, I don't know if you guys watch my like, internet historian, like I his was ads about are hilarious. To say that. Yeah. Spot on. Great example. Yeah. And I think like, you know, it can, uh, I think ads can move towards that model where like, you know, they're high quality and you enjoy watching them and they could be a service that like you actually care about. Like I already have VPN, but if I didn't, yeah, sure. I'll take NordVPN because internet historian said so. Um, 
but stuff like that. I, I definitely think that the the model can evolve to a way that's not as cancerous as it is today. Yeah. I think for the most part, tech moves a lot faster than legislation. I mean, we're years behind on legislation. And if one big move comes in and just changes everything about how we use the internet, those tech companies are getting are gonna get in the grind and within matter of, I don't know, weeks, months, maybe, they're just gonna find a new model to monetize. So I don't see uh, legislation as too big of a threat on the growth of the internet now, just because of how fast it's been growing. Um, like the, the position that many of these tech companies are in uh, where they have massive resources and they're always gonna be ahead of the curve um, uh, ahead of the curve in terms of legislation. Um, I mean, as, as long as we have, uh, uh, dare I say, boomers in office who don't understand technology very well. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. our whole 65 plus uh, demographic is, well, Gone. not watching. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely agree and that's an issue. And I think this is um, more of an issue in the US than it is in the EU. Um, in fact, I applaud the EU for the steps they've been taking recently in data protection. Uh, there was a lot of mess about this because of Article 14 and the GDPR. I think that's that's significant. GDPR, yep. Yeah, and honestly, the internet didn't collapse in Europe, which is something, you know. So I definitely think the US could take a step towards that. And I also agree that the fact that legislators don't really know how these things work doesn't help them. Um, for example, the Zuckerberg hearings that happened, I don't know, two years ago. Uh, and this Seems is like something a lifetime that marked ago. me. Yeah, <laughs> it was a lifetime ago. But this marked me, one of the senators asked Zuckerberg uh, how they made money. And the answer that Zuckerberg gave was, we run ads. And the fact that this had to be asked in a Senate hearing was sort of surprising to me because how can you legislate when you don't know this? It's such a basic thing. So I definitely think it's not a huge risk, but with the current political wins, it might become one. Um. Yeah, you make a good point. And I think that we are all touching on something sort of uh, vaguely that we can talk about a little further, which is sort of how the times are changing in terms of the demographic uh, that is that is being targeted on the Internet uh, and the ones that are both running these companies and running the legislation. Uh, for one, we mentioned, for example, Rudy started by talking about how it's sort of like a niche that runs Adblock, right, for example. Um, but I also think that niche is directly tied to like sort of our age range, more or less. Um, so who knows, in the future, that niche might expand a lot more rapidly than we might expect it to. Uh, as our age range becomes more and more in tune with the internet, it might end up becoming a standard. Uh, I wouldn't be entirely surprised. Uh, not to mention that you guys have talked about how it's more or less the, these older generations that are running the legislation and how that can backfire on them. It could also backfire on us, theoretically, right? I mean, if they don't understand what Section 230 is doing and that it's kind of the driving force behind the entire model that the internet was built on, they might yeah. be kind of keen to get rid of it. Uh, I'm not saying that they will, and I'm not sort of a, a, a doom caller and thinking that that's the case or anything like that. Just uh, playing devil's advocate as a hypothetical, the, the problem necessarily isn't as much that it backfires on them or on us. It's just, I feel like there's so much instability uh, in play here. We've got these newer generations that are doing things that the older ones aren't. The older ones don't understand what's going on. Um, and everything is just moving so fast with no real like signs of slowing down. So maybe by the time that people like us are in an office 
there we won't understand what's going on i'd like to think we <laughs> we'll will become we the boomer mentality yeah. maybe we we must embrace the boomer inside of all of us yeah. uh, but <laughs> i'd like to think we have a bit of a different mentality yeah, yeah boomer is not an age sure. range it's a state of being <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it's a i'd like to like talk about your point about adblock um honestly i feel like using a browser is is becoming a little a little strange now um like most people Oh, okay. Maybe I shouldn't generalize that that much. But a lot of people around our age just interact with the internet through through like apps on their phone, like the Facebook app. Well, nobody uses Facebook. The Instagram app or like WhatsApp or whatever, and they get ads served on those platforms, and they can't really control the advertising experience. Um, or as uh, as hyper tech nerds, I don't know, use the browser, run like custom side loaded YouTube on their iPhone, <laughs> so get rid of ads and stuff like that. So I think people are just going to be constantly advertised to. And for the layperson, there's not going to be much that they can do about it simply because of the way that they, um, they access the internet through like a very specific portal uh, where they have little control. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. So do we think that moving forward... Sorry, were you going to say something, Rudy? I just want to do a quick aside. Like for Please the tech do. people out there, if you want to block ads, you should uh, set up a pie hole. It's just yeah, a... Pie uh, good. You have a Raspberry Pi and you run the software that basically um, it, it acts as a DNS server for your network. And if it's a request for an ad, it's just like, nope, I don't know it. And then the ads just won't load. Um, and it works really well. Rudy tutorial when? <laughs> that would be great, uh, wouldn't it? Put that on the UPE channel. Building yeah. <laughs> a file with Rudy. Um that's that's really interesting. So I guess just to sort of conclude that, do you, what do you guys see sort of as the moving forward for the internet? Do we think that, I mean, we know we've already agreed that the internet's changing rapidly. We've already seen so much change even in the past decade. How much do we think of that is going to be tied to these demographics that, we talk, that we're talking about? Do we think that there's really a totally different mentality coming up and that in the next 10 years, 20 years, we're going to see that uh, take over some of the legislation or some of the governing bodies? I'd really hope so that like um, that younger people get more involved in politics and in legislation because it's like I think it's hundred percent a okay maybe not hundred percent but I think it is majority a like just a voting issue and that like a lot of people our age don't see it as uh, vital to participate in all these different like um elections right like everyone comes out for like the presidential election but then they forget like there's your your town and state like local elections all that stuff matters for the laws that like actually affect you and then they're the ones that influence the people who end up writing the laws like section 230 for example so unless like people make a vested interest in ensuring that like their local representatives represent what they want how can they expect like the dinosaurs in Congress to be like um, re- like going against their best interests or going with their best interests? Um, and I don't know. I'd, I'd hope that it, based on this last election, right, like there was a lot of turnout among younger people. And I'd hope that persists through all elections and that people get more involved and um, pay attention, basically. And hopefully we can have better tech legislation by just voting in younger people who understand tech or who have worked with tech before and can write legislation that is actually beneficial to both the user and the tech companies. Yeah, I mean, I got to agree. It just has to do with um, civic engagement. And I think that's growing, as you've seen, like tons of young people came out for uh, this election. And uh, I think that that came up with uh, a few uh, 
don't know, uh, victories that maybe people weren't expecting or, or like voter turnout was high in places uh, that people weren't expecting, which is always great to see. Uh, seeing more of the nation uh, having their voice heard. And yeah, I think once we get younger people in office or even younger people in office who are, are, are just like tech advisors are in cabinets or, or uh, on, on like uh, teams, like working alongside people to draft legislation, we're just gonna be at a, a better place. So I agree with that, but I have a bone to pick, which is, and I think that both Gabriel and Philip are gonna agree with me. It's very, very hard to find tech people that are willing to actually go into office. Yeah, I'm not gonna do it. I, don't pick me, don't pick me. Yeah, no, that's okay, I, I just wanna I just want to code. I'll talk about it on a podcast. I will not go to the Senate. It's like, I want somebody to do it. It just can't be me. Just not yeah. me. No. <laughs> somebody <laughs> somebody is a general <laughs> issue. <laughs> somebody just has to take the plunge, huh? Yeah, and it and is like, a general I, issue. Yeah. It is a general issue. And I did this as a joke when you guys joined UPE on your uh on like the first event where you had like those votings. Uh remember that? Some yeah. of those were random, others were uh a psychological test. Uh just for me to see, because I didn't share that with anybody, but Fact is, when I put politics into question, most people said, and when I mean most, I mean like 90% of people said that they would rather not be involved. Uh, like, I enjoy this. I enjoy law. I enjoy these discussions. But I also not going to run for office because it's just not there. And I feel like this is a general issue for most people in tech. We don't mind talking about it. Some of us might even advise people, no one's going to run for office. Yeah, so sure. how do we solve this issue? That's interesting. I mean, I think people are more willing to be advisors than they are standing in front of the podium, giving a huge speech. So <laughs> I don't know how we're going to remedy that. I mean, we're just going to have to wait for the, the tech messiah to come and save us. Perhaps or a business a, major that's a tech have, minor. Ah, no way. It's all about <laughs> Might be interesting. The, yeah, no, no way, dude. It's all about the cross-discipline experience that makes great leaders. <laughs> I think that's I think that's what it's really all about. Finding somebody who just isn't just only into technology, but you know, a whole slew of other things that they can bring to the table and actually uh, affect change. Isn't that right, Gabe? No, you're not a U.S. Yeah, citizen, so I guess I, 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 think I don't know, bro. A, I can't do anything. Like I can't even so I vote. I, like, so I, who's I gonna vote for think, me if I can't vote? Yeah. So I think you're at a crossroads. There. Wait. Yeah, you're definitely at a crossroads there. <laughs> you, were you gonna add to this reading? Uh, well, just one quick thing. Now I'm, I'm confused. Who who was born in the U.S. Because I wasn't. In this yeah. Call. So I'm I'm <laughs> no the one. only person born in the U.S. Um, oh, you were born right, in the U.S. So you're okay. gonna have to be our president. You're it's the only you, one to run. You have to <laughs> do it, Philip. You I are mean, the chosen one, Philip. We're not just put not us all in your committee, and it'll be great. Not the hero we deserve, <laughs> but one we needed. Me. <laughs> That's so good. Now, if I ran oh. for office, you know something's wrong. Dude, that's when things have gone really south. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, ugh, you're stuck with this guy. Ugh. Don't sell yourself short. But that's actually a good point. What you guys are mentioning about all these like tech people not mm -hmm. being not being willing to run for office. Um, I think I'm a little bit of a different example because I'm not in business, so I won't speak. I'm in business, so I won't speak as much for myself. I'd be more willing to do that than I think the general demographic. But something interesting is when we were planning out this episode, we tried to find 
poli-sci people, um, political science people that knew about tech. And we looked for everybody in UP. We looked at CSA. I got to the point where I was just going on LinkedIn and I was going through like connections and I was like, please, somebody poli-sci that knows tech. Just like anybody in Boston hacks, codify, I don't care, something. And and it was so hard. We found like maybe two people and they were both unavailable. Um, so it's just... It is really interesting to see how there's no overlap really in these demographics. Like you go to business, you go to even some of the arts, like the more of the humanity side, you'll see people who are super into politics as like more of like a hobby thing or, or a casual thing. They're just interested in it, even if that's not their career. In tech, I feel like that's so yeah. rare. I mean, we all and went into tech, also, so we didn't have to talk to people. You got to realize that, Gabe. <laughs> That's true. And yet here I am hosting a podcast, so I don't think I'm doing it right. Um, mm, but it's online, so it's okay. It doesn't <laughs> that's count. That's true. doesn't it's count. like a Discord doesn't call. Count. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but something to mention as well is I think, I think something interesting, without going too much in the psychological aspect of this, uh, how much do you think that ties into the whole mentality of our demographic as well? Because in tech, you tend to see a lot more, I mean, obviously we've got young people all around us majoring in all kinds of things, but a lot of the leaders in tech are definitely towards the younger end. You know, it's those people that really are willing to either drop out of college and make a startup or invest themselves into that really early on. It's people who have been doing this for a long, long time since they were really young. And more and more often, we're seeing this sort of mentality from young people of, of, almost like this doom and gloom attitude of like, what's the point of like trying to fix these things? It's just some big convoluted system that was made in the 1800s by the founding fathers, especially in the US. Uh, and people just aren't as willing to try anymore. Uh, statistically, that that's the case from surveys. 1700s. To try and fix this. <laughs> well, whatever, bro. Your country's like a child. Yeah, um, I mean, our country is like, universe. our country is like the Gen Z of, of, uh, of countries. Absolute Zoomers. Yeah. Yes. Um, so what do you guys think about that? Do you think that sort of plays a role in it as well? Like we have this younger demographic in tech and the younger people aren't as willing to try to fix these systems? Oh, yeah. We just feel disenfranchised all the time. It's like, yeah, nothing matters, dude. The man just wants me down and I'm eating the boot. I mean, yeah, that, that mentality is, is, is definitely there and it's hard. And it definitely starts with civic engagement, um, getting as many people involved in, um, you know, politics to, to an extent as possible. So they're, they're aware of these issues. I mean, they don't necessarily have to like run for office or anything, but like just actually care about some of these issues. Um, though, I mean, for as much doom and gloom as, as this generation has, I mean, there's tons of young people out there affecting change. And that's always been the case. Like if you look like, I don't know, like the civil rights movement, that's like kids on college campuses getting together and getting like, you know, pepper sprayed and stuff. Like they're putting themselves on the line for these things. And there's tons of people like that in our generation that are the same way. Like young people for as much, you know, nihilism that we display do actually want something to change. Because, I mean, it's going to be our world that we're going to be inheriting here. Mm -hmm. I think that um, at, at the end of the day, right, like people just need to go into politics. Like, yeah, yeah if everyone wants something, but nobody wants to actually do it, then it's not going to happen. Um, and I think like activism is great and um, all, all the other stuff that people do for like raising awareness is great. But at the end of the day, somebody needs to go into office to actually make it into law. Right. Yeah. And I think convincing people who are outside of your demographic to care for your demographic, let's say like the older generations to care about an issue that the younger generations care about. I feel like that's a lot harder of a sell than just voting in somebody who's younger and to vote in somebody who's younger, <laughs> you need someone to run who is younger. And I think at some point people just need to bite the bullet. And, yeah, um, I think that's a missing like, key there. Like that's definitely the missing key. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I don't, I don't really know how to fix that. Like people just need to do it. <laughs> like, um, like don't be scared. Just, uh, run for office. As Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. Wow. That's so cheesy. I'm going to make that a Rudy quote now. Gandhi didn't nice. say yeah. that anymore. Rudy. Rudy. Said <laughs> I, I whispered in his ear and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> trust me. It's worked like a couple hundred years now. It's fine. Um, <laughs> That's that's super interesting. And I think at this point, we've kind of talked a lot about like how we got to, to where we are and the situations that we're facing nowadays. So let's talk about the actual states of these platforms that got us started in this discussion nowadays. Uh, let's let's talk about some of the big ones and how they're dealing with some of the issues that we're seeing come up uh, with this this whole system that we've discussed. So I think YouTube's a really interesting I mean, one for us to talk about. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely, Philip, please. Yeah, so like, um, I'll just cover a few of these things. Um, so YouTube... Uh, is taking like a lot of these platforms are taking more steps to moderate the content that's uh, on their platforms uh, for one reason or another. And uh, I know that YouTube does something where um, if a video is something that they deem like controversial or like, uh, you know, like not favorable for the platform, they'll deprioritize it and sometimes demonetize it as well. Um, a lot of the times you'll also see like a uh, like on some videos, like a warning, like if it's a controversial topic, like if it's about like climate change or something, it's going to it's going to give you like a Wikipedia blurb about it. Or it's like, oh, this this like broadcaster is like an American like backed company or whatever. Um, uh, Twitter does a like a warning before you view content like they uh, for URLs, I believe it's like, oh, you're um, like this URL might not be a trustworthy uh, source. Um, I don't know if there's any other. I can't think of any other things that other companies have done. Uh, Specifically for Twitter as well, something to note is especially during the election, and this is something. We'll oh yeah, they also to. do memory wholesome stuff. Uh, just, they have been memory holding things. They a just lot. Thanos uh, it. And that was a big thing. I guess we can just jump into that since we're talking about it. One of the things that Twitter did during the election, which was pretty controversial, was they started taking a lot more control over the spread of information than they have previously. Rather, I mean, more than pretty much any of these platforms have previously. Um, and what they did is they essentially started blacklisting URLs. So if there was a site that, let's say there was an article that came out about something that some party did or something, and this is right in the heat of the election, there's a lot of misinformation flying around. If Twitter, for through some arbitrary means, uh, deemed that it may or may not be uh, misinformation, meaning it you know, it's not verified by their terms, uh, they would blacklist the entire URL. You couldn't send it to people. You couldn't tweet about it. Like, you couldn't, if they found a, another link that also linked to it, they would blacklist that too. Uh, and they were just trying to shut down any conversations that oh, went sorry, through that URL. I'm sorry, go ahead, Rudy. Which I think was a very radical approach compared to what we've seen in the past. We really haven't seen platforms try to do this stuff in the past. And it definitely goes against some of the mentality of letting users post whatever they want because you are not responsible for their content. So what do we think about that? Especially during the election, a time when information is so crucial. I would argue that um, as, as private entities, they're allowed to do whatever they want uh, with, within reason, right? As long as they're not breaking the law. So like, for, for example, like, um, uh, like a, a restaurant can choose not to serve you for any reason as long as it's not like a protected class, like as long as they're not discriminating on like, like race, gender, uh, religion, stuff like that. Like, that. like no shirts, no shoes, no service, for example. Like they can discriminate against people who don't wear shoes. Um, and in the same vein, I think that platforms should be empowered to remove whatever content they see as unfit as long as it's not 
violating any other law that already exists. So for example, if someone is spreading misinformation or linking to a site that's inciting violence, then like get rid of it. I think I see no problem with that. Um, and if anything, like there, there should be incentives for them to like get rid of like misinformation or problematic content. It's, it's a, tr it's a tough problem to solve. I don't necessarily know the, like the perfect answer to this, but like, right. Like we, I think we can all agree that like repealing section 230 is a bit too far of an extreme. And that would kill a lot of small businesses who can't handle, um, the moderation, uh, overhead. But like, there should definitely be like, let's say like an assumption that, you know, there's always going to be some amount of misinformation or like bad content on the internet. And for every, I don't know, X amount of like content that they can remove that's bad or like views that they prevent, impressions that they prevent on seeing like, let's say incitements to violence, then they can make that a tax benefit or something. Like basically make a financial incentive for companies to want to remove bad content without like, putting in a rule that would hurt smaller companies who can't remove all the bad content. So just before the rest of you guys pitch in, what do you, so just, uh, just interestingly, so now that you've, you've sort of stated your point on that, Rudy, what do you think specifically about Twitter's approach? Do you think that that was a measured approach? Do you think they took it too far? Uh, do you think that's the path that more, you know, platforms should be taking moving forward? And how do you think it sort of relates specifically to the context in which they did it in like the, the election? I'm really interested in getting your so thoughts. I, I actually didn't know about the, um, blacklisting of videos like uh preventing video or like websites from being seen so i don't really comment on that too much but i did have a discussion with uh warren who is another upe alum about uh when trump posted that video like during the capitol riots he was like you're all very special go home i love you and um in that video they prevented uh they prevented people from resharing and from commenting on it and i thought that was fine like, uh, Warren didn't agree, but, um, I thought that like, it's there, like you can't share it, but like, you can go to his like, uh, Twitter account and see it. And like the, the reason it wasn't being allowed to be retweeted was that also in that same video, he was also saying, oh, the election was stolen from us, but it's okay, but it was stolen from us. And they didn't want that message to be like, you know, spread further, which could possibly incite more violence. Right. Like, and maybe prolong the Capitol riots. Um, and I think that that's totally fine. Like, again, they are a private entity. There's this content on their platform. And if they don't like that content, they can do whatever they want with it. Like, and I find it especially absurd that like, you know, we're like, oh, it's, it's the president. You can't block him. Like he has his own media channels. Like, if he wanted to, he could put something on the TV and like everyone would be forced to see like, oh, here's a presidential address. He chooses to use Twitter. And like, we've so quickly normalized this idea of Twitter being like the official like way of hearing from the president, which yeah. is absurd. <laughs> which I is think, very like, hilarious. People are like, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. he, Trump could just use the emergency broadcast system, you know, it's like, hey, yo, what's up? Exactly. You guys remember that? I think I was in like a yeah. high school locker room when that stuff came on. It's like, whoa, suddenly all our phones just beeps at us. And it's like, oh, it's a test of the emergency warning system, like emergency message system mm -hmm. or something. I'm like, he definitely has that outlet if he ever needed it, which is an extreme one, of course. But yeah, um, building off of what Rudy's saying, um, now that these content providers have gotten so large, um, they, they almost are like a de facto gateway to the internet now. Um, like the internet is these conglomerate of 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 uh, companies and, and then everything else, 
And that puts them in a position where um, they should be more careful about what's on their platforms. Like, uh, like to give like an example of something that I've experienced, like with YouTube, for example. Um, uh, so there's like tons of YouTube channels in Vietnamese that are just like complete garbage misinformation, like just straight up lies. Like none of it is truthful at all. Like I'm talking like every conspiracy theory you can think of. Like, um, like the people at, at the Capitol riots were like, disguised as Antifa or like the COVID vaccine is a like made in China, which or like any number of things that um, just aren't true at all. And um, for as much as, as people have in like the Vietnamese American community have like pointed this out, like talked about these channels and like how much destruction they're really doing to like the Vietnamese American community who like may not understand English very well and like this is their outlet of news. Like nothing has happened to these channels. They're still up, and it frustrates me that, uh, that that's a reality. Like, I like I can't even go on this platform and like get rely like a reliable source of information. And like, sure, um, it's not entirely YouTube's fault that these channels exist, but um, I think that they have a responsibility to do something about it. Um, I mean, it's a tough question. To, it's a tough thing to answer because it is a double-edged sword. Uh, if you give YouTube the power to, to like Thanos these channels off the face of the earth, there's no saying what they could do to something else that might not meet their interests. Mm-hmm. Now, I just want to say a really quick thing about um, YouTube. So one of the... Uh, their approach actually so, uh, that they're doing to uh, prevent like misinformation spreading is I think a like decent middle ground in that like instead of just uh, deleting videos off their platform, they just don't recommend them anymore. Because like yeah. a, the easy way of people getting into these rabbit holes is they watch one conspiracy video and it's like, oh, watch this conspiracy video or watch yeah, this. And I then see. you quickly get sucked down the rabbit hole. And YouTube will just, at least like, I, I guess they're not maybe doing it for other languages, but yeah, for, for whatever English, reason, what they do is they basically not, very, run, um, not very well for Vietnamese. I'll, I'll tell you like, yeah. you, you're, you're literally on like BBC, like, uh, in Vietnamese, and then the thing in the sidebar is like some conspiracy channel, which I find utterly ridiculous. Um, yeah. And it's that's not something you can solve easily, obviously. But um, I hate that that's a reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And the thing you said about the double-edged sword is really true because I feel like people are going to complain no matter what platforms do on this. So if, for example, Twitter starts bleeping everything out of existence and a lot more than what they're doing, people are going to complain. But if they don't, then people are also going to complain because there's going to be people on both sides and whatever, whether we like them or not, whether they're decent human beings at some point or not, they're going to complain. And so I don't feel like this is ever going to be perfect until we fix the root issues in society about this like (laughs) polarization of thought that there is because like i'm not american and when i what i see happening in american politics is scary you know i don't want to get too political but this is just it's something that i feel like nowhere else in the world this would happen and has really said about twitter for example twitter became this means to access trump that he used to bypass the media whatever he wanted and like this doesn't happen anywhere else. He has a press room literally next to his office. He could walk out and the press would be there to hear him. Yet he chose Twitter. So it's not 
just a platform issue. There's a deeper issue here on how the internet has grown to be something that it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Oh, America, my nation, apparently, because nobody else is born in America. It has to be yours. It has to be mine. <laughs> it's not perfect, but it's mine, and I'll love it. Yeah, it's just one of those sticky situations. And pol the polarization does not help at all. And um, I think in some cases, social media has worse than that because, I mean, uh, social media companies have an incentive to keep users on their platform. And what better way to do that than to show users content that they like? <laughs> I mean... Or that they will click on it. Or they will click on at least, you know. And, and many of the time, it's something that will confirm their bias. And in, in that case, you're just... You, this is all you see uh, every time you open Facebook, every time you open Instagram. Why would you think any differently, right? This is your entire world now. And that's something that I don't know. I, I don't know how to fix that. Like people just have to be able to think more critically about things, um, uh, recognize where they might be deceived and, and just end up being more open-minded overall about the, the information that they are receiving. Yeah, I have a couple comments on that, but did you want to add something first, Rudy? I saw you were going to talk earlier. Oh, I just wanted to say, um, I think it would be good to point out that it's it's not just a U.S. issue. Like a lot, I think the uh, polarization, and it, I think it's more of an issue of like uh, social media uh, spread of misinformation and a lack of critical thinking. Like this has happened in like the Philippines with Duterte, and I'm it, like it happens in probably a bunch of other countries where like uh, fascist right wing authoritarian like leaders are coming to power and using the internet um, to uh, like you know spread their message and like twist people's minds on topics. And um, yeah, I, I just think it's a uh, as Vitor says, it's a deeper issue with like the internet, I think, and not so much like any one like country here or there. Like people are hardwired to like, you know, want to like be part of a group and want to find these patterns and like, oh, I'm special. I've discovered this conspiracy. And then, you know, this this outsider politician is gonna fix everything and then oh, so much. Um, so it, it's a tough problem. I think you're definitely right about that, that it's, it's becoming more of a global issue. It's becoming a, an issue of, of how people are using these platforms and how people get their news and how people react to all this. And the entire world is getting more polarized, really. I think the, but there is, there is one thing absolutely to the credit of, of what Victor said as well, which is that even to me, I mean, I mean, it definitely still feels to me, even though I know consciously that it is not just a U.S. issue, it feels to me like it's so much worse in the U.S. So the question, I guess, is if if there's no real reason for, for me to think that it's it's worse in the U.S. than it is elsewhere, is it just that the U.S. is so much more dramatized then? Is it just so much more obvious in the U.S.? Is it just in our face all the time because the media is all about propagating this and it's, it's more about... Not, not about it being more possible to do in the U.S. necessarily, but about it being so much more obvious here. And even if that is the case, and it's not necessarily worse here, it's just more obvious here, I would say that's worse in a certain way because it's so much more clear to see then that there is a problem, and yet the problem remains and grows and spreads and nothing is being done about it. So I would say that's definitely worse even from that perspective, even if we are to say that it's about like a similar situation. Yeah, I mean... I think uh, there's a lot of media focus, even from like international news on the United States, which just shows you, you know, how much focus the United States has on the world stage for whatever reason. 
Um, and you are talking about American tech, tech companies. So, so I think like naturally, you're going to see a lot of this mud just arising from the American pit. <laughs> um, I mean, it definitely is present in other countries, but just by the sheer volume of information coming, uh, like, uh, coming out about the United States, you just see it so much more clearly. And I think that contributes it uh, that contributes it to being a worse situation here. So yeah. I, I, just to pitch in again, um, the reason why I said this is such an issue in the U.S. is because I follow news media all over the place because well, I'm not American, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who follows news media outside. Yeah. And even in countries where society is polarized, like the U.K. at this point, it's not this bad. There aren't characters like there are in the american political system you're right there are tons like, of characters it's sensationalized. that are um, yes it's yeah. very interesting it's like going like, to watch the a worst play. in europe exactly the, wor <laughs> the like, worst in europe has yeah. never been as the worst as the worst hey we do it better okay why can i what can i say we do it better <laughs> america USA, USA. Like le pen isn't that sensationalist in what she says like her policies are terrible and she is a horrible human being. I have no doubt about this. But her use of media isn't as bad as some of the characters in the US. <laughs> it really hey. does feel like you're oh, like one day you're going to the zoo, the next day you're going to a Shakespearean opera or something. Like it, it, it's kind of <laughs> why go to the zoo when you have the it? entire United States, bro? Like bro, just, <laughs> just pick zoo. a spot. Just pick a spot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I gotta agree with you, Itur. We got some uh, strange characters here in the in high places, and uh can't say I'm comfortable with many of them. <laughs> and they definitely take up a huge presence. Um, and you not know, good I, all the time. <laughs> I think that brings up the really interesting point of how, why is it that it's become this sort of game now? Because I think that that's, that's one of the root issues of why, of so much of the things that we've talked about. I think that's part of the root issue why people like us don't want to run for office because we see it as this sort of like wacky game of sorts with all these weird characters and this, this game of, of bureaucracy. Uh, it might be the issue of why we think it's so doom and gloom or why we, we don't really respect some of these characters as much as we, we may have in the past. It's just sort of old men in powerful positions. Um, so, I guess the question is how, what role do we think that social media plays in sensationalizing all this? Because in my opinion, it's a big one. And what do we think we can do about that? The difficult one. Wow. And I think that's, that's that like the million dollar question, question right now, there. isn't it? I remember last time I had <sighs> this conversation. Make $2 million was, and I might answer it. I don't know, dude. <laughs> it was actually during Boston Hacks. It. Last time I had this conversation was during Boston Hacks. I remember mm -hmm. working on our project and I was just talking to somebody on like a two hour call or whatever and we were just discussing this. And basically the conclusion that we came to was people need, we need to start broadcasting what social media is differently. It's not supposed, in my opinion at least, I'll give my take and you guys can comment what you think. Social media isn't, it was never supposed to be a newspaper. It wasn't supposed to be your source of official facts and news. Yeah. It was supposed to be a social platform for socializing, not for necessarily educational purposes. And now it's sort of morphed into some of that. It's morphed into some of everything. It's like this yeah. giant library with a bunch of clowns walking around. And it's really <laughs> weird. It's just so Someone much information everywhere. Someone yeah, but all the librarians noses. have like little red noses and stuff. And it's really weird. <laughs> no, I'm not calling them Rudolph. Um, but 
So, yeah. so I guess the question then is, for me, we need to change how we look at what social media is. We need to decide, is it going to be this weird like mishmash of all this information, at which point I have no clue how you both legally and like culturally approach this, or are we going to give it a, a more definite role? And even if we were to give it a more definite role, I don't know how you enforce that. Like companies aren't going to do that because that's just less content that they can, that's a smaller demographic that they can approach, right? Like this is the epitome of of, of the company's having free reign right now. This is like as large and as free as you can get pretty much. So either it's legality or you have to change people's minds. It's just such a difficult question either way. Yeah, you're giving me an existential crisis, dude. Um, <laughs> oh, big We're question. to the thick of things. Dude, big uh, question. I think that there's no inherent issue with people posting like, you know, whatever they want on social media, whether that be news or educational content or whatnot. Like, yeah, it's part of what makes the internet great. The, it's right. You know, like, um, it, it would be fine if, right. We, we wouldn't be having this conversation if they were posting truthful news or if they were only posting like educational stuff, right. The, the root of the issue is that misinformation and disinformation is spread on social media. And that's like the harder issue here. And like, I'm sure that we're not going to solve the disinformation problem in the next 30 minutes. But I think that if <laughs> no, um, <laughs> we got to try regulations though. are passed to like financially incentivize companies to do it. I'm sure that the smart minds at like all the top tech companies, you know, given enough time would figure it out. They're just at the moment, right? There isn't a financial incentive. It's easier for them to fight the lawsuits that come up every now and then than yeah, to, you know, I, waste millions or billion dollars on R&D. I got to agree. Um, like, there's nothing really, there's nothing really to incentivize these tech companies to do anything as long as they're getting, you know, getting money, as long as they're getting paid for having the, sort of the stuff up and, you know, kind of regulate, kind of regulating the stuff in their platform to save face a little, but just doing the bare minimum. Um, there's no, simply no reason for them to do any, much of anything right now. Um, and just as a unless, side note, we've already pointed out how hard it is to pass like like legislation like yeah. this. Like how the conversation well, isn't yeah. even really being held. You are right. And uh, though some tech companies did like start like to take a like a big stance um, on uh, Parler with like basically everybody dumping them from everything. Like Apple axing them from the, the App Store. Uh, Google like Thanosing them from the Play Store and AWS shutting their doors to Parler. Uh, Can forever. you just give a quick rundown for the viewers, like what Parler is and what actually happened there? Uh, a Parler is... No, I'm just kidding. So Parler is... Um, how do I say this? It's a... It's a, it's marketed as a like a free speech social media platform. Um, and it has attracted a lot of people who uh, could be considered unsavory, like, you know, neo-Nazis and, you know, super racist people and all that stuff. So like, there's not a lot of, there's a lot of people who aren't great on that platform saying a lot of things that aren't great. Um, and, you know, inciting violence and all that stuff. And if I'm not mistaking, uh, mistaken, some people were discussing some stuff to do with the Capitol riots, like either planning it or, or talking about, you know, doing something like that. Um, and, and well, big tech companies, I'm not exactly sure. I think uh, it was during the actual election, it right? It got during, pretty controversial and it ended up getting shut down. I think down, or right, right after the Capitol riots is when I, like, I, I started hearing news about Parler being, um, you know, get, yeah, getting axed by everything. And um, yeah, I think big tech companies just got fed up with Parler, thought it was a bad look. And that is exactly when they decided to ax them because 
They saw all this stuff uh, about uh, Parler and they decided there's no financial incentive to continue our relationship with this company. And so it disappeared into the mist. So on the note of financial incentives, because I think that's a very curious idea, but there's one major setback in it, which is the people in government are going to think it's the social media's responsibility to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Without incentives, or at least this is what I get from hearing politicians speak. They think that social media should moderate voices or unmoderate voices or whatever it is that they want, but nobody ever thinks of incentives. So I don't see, at least in the near future, anywhere in the surf where a legislation like that would be passed. And although I agree that that would definitely get the social media companies to invest in R&D and actually stop this misinformation spread, how do we pass the barrier of communicating to politicians that this has to be done? Yeah, and I think, I mean, for some politicians, it would actually uh, destroy their fan base, um, this stopping of the spread of misinformation. So it's like nobody wants to tackle this because, you know, they wouldn't get elected again. Um, That's a spot on thing to talk about as well, Philip, is we're reaching this point now where the the side the ar- sides of this argument are so intertwined with political sides to a certain extent yeah. that the platforms themselves are almost getting intertwined with political sides, where if you have a side that's I mean, as we've said, like shutting down Section 230, for example, would be terrible for these platforms. Um if we have a side that's that's advocating for it and the platform suddenly sees some leniency to censor information, they might find themselves keen to censor that side. And that's a big question mark of what's been going around now is, are we seeing these platforms lean more towards one political side or another in this gray zone that they operate in of what they can censor or not based on whether those parties' views favor their future, whether they favor those incentives or their view on Section 230? Um, And... I mean, if we look purely from an objective point of view, a lot of the governmental bodies of the tech companies, like the CEOs and the the executives, they statistically tend to lean left. Uh, A lot of Silicon Valley, a lot of startups, a lot of tech people tend to lean left. Um, So the question is, do we think that that's part of the problem as well, where we're almost drawing this line in the sand and saying, these companies are not working with you on this. They're doing their own thing. See, I think it's a it's very intertwined problem. Like, um, like we're talking about like two thirty and like platform liability in a vacuum. But like, right? Like in an ideal world, it wouldn't matter um, if, let's say, Facebook was censoring like um, for arguments. Say, let's say the Republicans are right and Facebook is censoring the Republicans. It wouldn't matter in an ideal world because you could just make another Facebook. I mean, that's what Parler attempted to be. Um, and like you could just make another company, but like the issue, right, is like we already have these social media monopolies, and we have like cloud provider monopolies where, you know, if you uh, don't have good relationships with these companies or they want to eat you, it'll happen. Uh, and it's hard to be, it's hard to like get market share in this environment, and that's due to like other laws that we have that are you know not really enforcing anti-monopoly um, regulations as strictly as they should be. Um, so it's, it's it's really hard because I feel like any solution that we have to just one of these problems in a vacuum would uh, be countered by like another problem that already exists without like, you know, unless we're going to sit here and rewrite the entire U.S. law and like fix everything right now, um, which arguably should be done. And, you know. 
Awesome. It'll take about 130 years, but we'll get there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, one amendment at a time, boys. One, oh, we're on the 50th amendment and we still got 500 more to go. Let's go. So that's actually a real issue in the U.S. and in um, common law countries, which is rewriting the law is extremely hard. Because not to get too much into the weeds of it, no matter what you write, the Supreme Court is the one who decides what the law means. Like, unless you're extremely specific while writing the law, whoever sits in the Supreme Court decides what it is. And yeah. that means that rewriting these laws is so hard because I think you need two-thirds majority in both the House and the Senate to amend the Constitution, which is never going to happen. Uh, it, yeah, it, it just takes so much... It just takes so much like will, sheer will and support to, to change yeah. one thing. And it, it was it was kind of a thing built into the whole institution of the United States, you know, kind of designed to be slow, I guess. I mean, if I were to take a guess for stability purposes, because back in those days, people were crazy about doing crazy stuff and they wanted to make sure people absolutely agreed to something before it was changed. And things didn't uh, change but, very fast back then. Either. And no, no, things didn't change very fast back then. So it made sense back then, you know, for things to be slow moving to make sure that everybody was on the same page for uh, something that could be a large change. Uh, but now, as the world is moving faster, I think that's starting to become a hindrance. It's, I mean, especially in this polarized world, it's hard to drum up bipartisan support for stuff. And I think that's just going to cause us to fall into a series of gridlocks that we just have so much trouble getting out of. And there's very little we can do about that until people just decide to work together. Uh, I mean, that's all, <laughs> that's all I got. You know, what's funny is that um, when the Constitution was being written, Thomas Jefferson uh, like suggested to the other members of the Founding Fathers that they should include a provision in the Constitution such that like every 20 years or so, they rewrite it. But the others didn't agree. Uh, and we are where we are now. Well, um, but dang. it is funny that hey, people... My guy should have advocated more for it. My guy, come on. He's slacking. He's slacking. He's like, you know what's a great idea? It's like, no, that's a terrible idea, bro. Why, why you bring that up? And he was like, oh, okay. Bro, if you brought that up like consistently, imagine what could have happened. My man's was slacking. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but it, it's funny that the, in like the US, the, the Constitution is like, you know, the word of God. Like it can't be changed. And like the Supreme Court is like, uh, you know, the final arbiters of truth, which, you know, it's another issue is I feel like, yeah, I like, I, I understand why the Supreme Court like needs to have lifetime appointments. It's so that they're, they're not beholden to whoever votes them in. But at the same time, I feel like it's a, a really it's tough a sell to yeah. ask somebody that like, you know, like you, you either expect someone who's really old to get with the times, like, right. What, what makes more sense is like someone really old, like getting with the times and understanding like the current generation's like feelings about something or just having a younger person be yeah. that good. I think there are some uh, like suggestions to the Supreme Court um, having a term limit that is fairly long, like 18 years, so that you know they're not entirely beholden to whoever voted them in. You know, like that president would be done when the after like for let's see, and then they have like 10 more years to do stuff. So uh, I think it really starts like there, like Supreme Court um, being more flexible. I don't know about flexible, but like being able to change face more often. Because, you know, a, a president can make these appointments and have basically their entire legacy spilled out through the court still, uh, even as the years pass. And that's another issue that 
happens is which is judges don't retire unless they have a president of the same party that nominated them mm-hmm. unless they die which some of them have died in office it's not that uncommon uh but most of the supreme justices that retire make sure like oh i was put here by a republican i'm gonna retire for a republican so i can be replaced by somebody with the same ideology so there's these like casts in the supreme court and it never really changes unless somebody dies in office unexpectedly yeah so yeah it's i feel like a 40 um, chess game over here i i've the the, the term limit thing i think a even better thing than term limits would just be like a hard age limit for everything like i feel like if you're old enough to retire you are too old to be making decisions like in congress or for the country or uh, as a judge, right? Like, well, there can be an argument made for like, the older you are, the more wisdom you have, but there's nothing stopping you from being an advisor. I just don't think like, you know, if we have rules for like, you're too old to drive, then I feel you should be too old to like make Damn, laws Rudy that said boomer tax. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, of course, like the old people are never going to vote for that because also the vast majority of people who vote are old people. So again, civic engagement and getting young people to vote would really help, I feel. And it should be pointed out that senators also don't have a term limit. They can re-run infinitely until they die or decide not to run again. So, Yeah. All right, I'm going to steer us clear of the politics for a little bit so that we don't <laughs> get right. too deep into how the Supreme Court operates and term limits Send for all hate mail to uh, moncow at bu.edu. So. Close, thankfully not it. Um, so yeah. let's... <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Okay, so I think I think while we were a while back, like two hours ago, on the Where topic were of Twitter, we? I don't know. We were talking about platforms and stuff. Maybe their liability or something. How do we get into um, law? But but there is something interesting to point about point out regarding these these governmental officials and how they interact with these platforms outside of just legislation. We briefly touched upon it, but I think we can go a bit more in depth into it, which was the main reason why we wanted to talk about this entire topic in the first place, uh, which was the entire controversy around Trump's accounts being banned off of multiple platforms. Um, where was this after after the riots? Like right yes. after maybe? Yeah. So. Do you want to sort of walk us through what actually happened there, Philip, and how we kind of st- like holds together yeah. now? What what platforms are still imposing that? I gotcha. So, um, you know, I, I think it was like a brief period after the riots. Facebook decided to give at least a two week ban to Trump on Facebook and Instagram, and Twitter instated a twelve hour ban. Uh, this would later be reinforced by complete, absolute axing off the entire platform. Uh, uh, for Facebook and Twitter. And I think there was a presidential Twitch account for whatever reason. There was. That was I think that it's was axed. And that, yeah. is, that was axed. So these companies just decided, you know what? No more. And then Trump was no more. They're no longer presence on their platforms. And can somebody speak to what was like the instigating factor of all this? Because I mean, he said a lot of things that might have been that, but it was only now that it finally happened. So, so I think it was after the riots, like, whether you, we agree with this or not, and I'm going to try remaining neutral and not giving my opinion. Uh, the platforms had in mind that Trump was, even if he wasn't directly saying go riot to the Capitol, he was talking to his base in a way that was clearly somewhat instigated or could be interpreted to be instigated. Uh, that video that you guys mentioned a while back uh, that was stopped from being reshared, et cetera. I think that was the final tweet that he was allowed to put out. Uh, after that, he just got banned because there was serious consideration that people could be, and they were 
killed because of those riots, whether Trump incited them or not. And I think Twitter just got enough of it. Um, yeah, I can read back some of the tweets that he made uh, shortly before he was banned. So there was that video, and he also said what? Uh, so at one hour, okay. These are the, th- okay. These are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots who have been badly and unfairly treated for so long. Go home with love and peace. Remember to stay forever. And then after that, he said, uh, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our constitution. Giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones, which they were asked to previously certify. USA demands the truth. And of course, accompanied by that video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a. Uh, I feel like we don't have to beat around the bush. I'll I'll, I'll put my opinion there out go. there. Rudy's it's like very going clearly for it. he was. Uh, very clearly, this was yeah. inciting his base and like you know riling them up. And um, there's this concept. I forget where I first saw it. I think a friend showed it to me, but it's basically like you can't be tolerant of intolerance because then intolerance will always win out. Right. Like if you keep saying like, oh, you know, uh, let them say what they say, like to like, let's say the alt-right or like neo-Nazis. Right. Like they're they're just going to abuse any and exploit any inch that you give them, you know, give an inch, they'll take a mile type of thing. And like you, I feel like you have to be firm. And, you know, the the cynical take is that like Facebook, Twitter and whatnot, the only reason they banned them is because it was so close to Biden being elected. They're like, ah, the Republicans. And also around that time, um, I'm pretty sure the Democrats also got a majority of uh, that, like Congress or whatever. So at that point, it's very easy for the platforms to be like, all right, we don't have to worry about the Republicans anymore. Let's get this fucker out of here. And so they banned them. Um, And like, they could, they they could have done this way earlier if they actually cared about the inciting violence thing, because he's been doing this forever. But at the end of the day, money is what drives profits. It would be popular for them to remove him at this time because of the just extreme controversy surrounding him. Yeah. Um, but they didn't in the past because, you know, that's what dragged people onto their platform. And I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second here uh, and point out an interesting point of view, which is that if you look at it from the point of view of the, the people, and I'm, I, I mean, I, I don't personally believe this, but I, this is just an opinion piece, not a factually proven thing. The people who think that the election was rigged and that it was stolen. And I mean, you've got those charts, right, where it just like there's an absolute peak in the votes when the overnight like mailing comes in and you've got that kind of evidence that makes it seem like it was rigged. Um, and then suddenly you have these companies that are where you get all of your news and where you get all your information. And you've come to believe that this is like the source of media and they ban the president off of it after months and months of your party saying or a party saying that they are censoring um, Republicans. It suddenly does seem like it, it, it does all fit together, doesn't it? Like it is yeah. some sort of big mm-hmm. conspiracy. So that's something else to consider. From that point of view, I can really see why these platforms can just cause so much damage because it can reinforce that point of view of just this futility. It's a big faceless corporation. They're doing whatever they want. They're oppressing us. We need to do something about it, even if that means getting rid of any protections they might have. Yeah, I think the re- reinforcement of that narrative just for years and years just really makes people believe that there's some conspiracy against them that these tech companies are just shoving their boot down their throat and um i mean from that point of view it seems obvious right like these tech companies are doing crazy things and 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 like just um and just spreading lot and like uh not maybe not spreading lies but like censoring people um it just seems obvious from that point of view um 
and I don't really know how to answer that. It just comes down to like the way that these platforms engage their users and, and you know, make them see just one side of things. I was going to say more, but I completely forgot what I was going to say. So somebody <laughs> save you, me. Do you have a point there, Victor? Victor, it looked like you were going to say something. So I agree. And I also agree with Rudy. It hasn't, they definitely should have asked this earlier because um, there was like parlor. I don't know if you guys saw the screenshots of parlor, but that's domestic terrorism. Uh, like not everybody. I'm sure there are people on parlor that aren't, don't want to go out and kill people. Uh, and just our right wing but yeah but there's like the, there's a there's like a there's a stopping point where it's like yeah, yeah. there's there's a stopping point where like it's illegal no matter, now it is illegal it is illegal <laughs> exactly it's not a matter of opinion you're breaking the law and you're actively trying to overthrow a legitimately elected government and i agree with what you said gabe like from the perspective of people that believe in what they've been telling and like that screenshot in specific flew around Twitter like wildfire, even though the person who actually admitted it then retracted it like a couple hours later when they said that that was an input bug. Somebody put like 118 and then a bunch of other numbers. It was instead of 18,000, they put 180,000, which is a huge spike in votes, obviously, right? This makes anyone that knows how to read statistics wondering what is happening here. Uh, but at the same time, like, this isn't particularly the platform's fault. I think this the entire thing that people can believe this in. Like, I'm all for the court cases. Like, if people think the election is stolen, go to court. That's what they're there for. There are legislation to prevent this from happening. The court cases were lost. Like, yeah, it was over and 50 so many cases. people, yeah. And people who acclaim that there was like rigging done just didn't even show up. They're like, yeah, they just made something up to rile up people and then exactly. didn't stick behind so, it. This was such an issue that I think like, sure, the platform should have cut it earlier, but there's, I don't think it's fair to just yeah. put I, I think liability it's like a on the platforms. There's, it's a symptom yeah, of, exactly. of something greater. Um, and it's unfortunate that we have to be in this position in this country. Um, that people can be so entrenched in one point of view that they don't see another side um, and they don't realize that they may be uh, being misled. Uh, it's a tough thing and, and social media doesn't make it any better. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think like the, the ways to fix this are critical thinking being like a much bigger focus of education and like you know even if you do that this isn't gonna it's not gonna show effects for like at least a decade right until those kids grow up and are making decisions and then also social media i think they do have a responsibility to do something right i know they're trying but like I mean, there must be a solution out there to help prevent the spread of like misinformation right because like conspiracies are kind of like um like they, they evolve and get better over time because in the beginning you might just say you know like congress is lizard people and right like no one's going to believe that except maybe <laughs> like a few crazies but then slowly that's <laughs> like you start they start like you know they predict everything and then the, they pick the ones that survive they'll be like oh like you know 
Republicans are being censored and then Trump gets banned. And it's like, ah, now we have one true thing to add to the conspiracy. And like over time, they have all these things that they can point to as facts, which like, you know, might be true, but out of context. And then it's yeah. easy to to warp people because, like you know, humans like we like seeing patterns, right? Like we like recognizing patterns and like that, like dopamine rush when like, you know, you find a pattern and you feel special that you've discovered something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like trying to like uh what's the word like um sure. convince people who are so like entrenched in their position like you said earlier like at some point you can't right like like this uh, what i'd say to like trying to uh, when gabe was talking about like the the devil's advocate about you know there are people who like actually believe that the election was stolen you know for those of them that are willing to come to the table and have a good faith discussion and like you know perhaps have their mind open to like listen to another point of view i think that's fine but there's definitely people who are like too far gone right where it's like not worth the effort to try and convince them yeah. like, like they're like flat earthers at this point yeah that's something i really wanted to get into like can we get some people out of this mindset and it's impossible unless they themselves are willing to to consider another viewpoint and there are people uh, on both sides of this yeah. by the way like, like yeah, just something yeah, as absolutely. a quick note absolutely. like there's definitely the the right the right wing tends to be more sensationalized on this like the left wing oh. i think condemns the the republicans a lot more than for for this specifically but there's definitely people on both sides like for example well, I don't want to go into examples on this. I'm going to get crucified. But uh, basically, there are some, like, for example, okay. There's I, some I people with very I wouldn't far have voted viewpoints. For, I, I wouldn't have voted for Trump, for example. That's that's what I will say. But I don't consider him a Nazi. He is nowhere comparable to Hitler. Hitler killed a lot of people, okay? You cannot like his politics. You cannot like his policies. But it's not fair to compare him to a mass genocide man, like a mass murderer. Like, you can't do that. That's not reasonable. That doesn't make me a Nazi as well, because I refuse to call him a Nazi. So th- there are definitely two sides to this where people need to be reasonable on both sides. And I think what you're saying, Philip, is, is spot on because we're reaching this point where we've got we've got spread of disinformation, where people are just choosing, where, where there's just facts flying everywhere. Half of them are very questionable. The fact that the ones that are true, half of them are out of context, like Rudy has said. Companies are sort of in this gray area as to what the, whether they're controlling them or not. The biggest faces on the planet where people are getting their media are not on the same page, both legally and with each other, as to how they are going to control this. The biggest people on the planet, like Trump, for example, um, are openly using these platforms to as means of saying their own versions of stories, and people are taking them as the word of God for both sides. And we're reaching this point where people aren't even willing to have this conversation of, is this a problem? Is this actually, is my side just wrong? Am I getting my information from the wrong place? So not only does it seem like we have a deep-rooted problem, both in terms of legality and culture, but it seems like it's so hard from also both of those sides to get out of it, as we've said. Um, yeah, so I'm it's, just, it's I don't tough, know. dude. And yeah, I, I got to agree with you. Um, there are definitely people um, on both sides of this who, uh, on both extremes, I'd rather, uh, yeah, both extremes rather, who just um, kind of fall into the same mindset. It's kind of like the whole horseshoe thing. I won't get into that, but it's just a fun theory. It's I don't I don't see it as gospel, but like you know, the horseshoe theory goes like the further like way left and the further way right you go, the more they start to resemble each other. Um, of course, it's not like it's not true. It's like like hundred percent true, but it's fun fun to think about things that way. But um, you you can see certain resemblances, I guess, in like those very extremes or like you know in the terms of like their attitude towards things like they're not like they like shut out you know other voices or like don't consider other viewpoints 
Um, and that's tough. Like we just have to repair the polarization in this country. And I think that starts with like each individual person just starting to be able to engage like in a constructive manner in, in like political discussions and stuff. And just being able to talk about things comfortably without completing shutting, like completely shutting down another person. Um, like even if you may like super disagree with them. And like, and I, uh, I guess I can go, I can go through that in my own life real quick. Sorry to cut you off, Gabe. Sure. Yeah, no, go ahead. But like, yeah. So um, my grandma like was like watching YouTube videos and I didn't realize that, you know, the uh, Vietnamese far right wing hellhole was so deep. Uh, and I just talked to her and I listened to her and um, I talked about how these issues are arising and like why, you know, some of these Vietnamese YouTube channels might want to do these things um, and, and how like the internet engages and tries to engage you and, and you know people might be saying things left and right and they're not true at all um and just by talking to her you know I, I got to understand um how these things propagate as well as you know change your mind on things and reaching it's a hard discussion well. yeah like yeah, just this is my grandma like reaching sorry sorry yeah your off. grandma yeah <laughs> like like in 2016 like she absolutely despised trump but like in 2020 that is totally flipped like, how does that happen? Yeah, I mean, the, the problem, I think, is it's, it's definitely a cycle, right? Um, we've kind of beaten it into the ground now, so I'll move on. But we're definitely in this cycle where the more you are rooted in your point of view, the more those ideas propagate, the more people are rooted in their point of view. Uh, it's, it's getting very difficult, I think, to break people out of that. So let's try to flip a bit more into the future. We've kind of talked about uh, how we think that we might be able to solve this, financial, or, uh, financial incentives, for example, uh, or getting more young people into... Um, positions where they can change legalization or into these governing roles in these companies and maybe change the mindset of the companies. Uh, something else that I'd like to point out as well, which I kind of hinted at, and I think this is an interesting conversation I'd like to, your, like to get your guys' ideas on, which was that I said, I think we need to change what the role of social media is, or at least have a defined role. Because it, we can't keep having them be sort of like, in my opinion, at least these like half media outlets, like uh, official media, like journalism media, and these half like social aspects. I think we need to decide whether it's one way or another. Uh, you can have both, but then we need to crack down on misinformation like Rudy has said, because it's, I don't think it works the way that it is right now. And here's an interesting approach, for example. I've, I, I see some of the things you guys have said, especially Philip, for example, you said like you're, it's really annoying that you can't find a good place to, to get your information nowadays, especially on these big platforms like YouTube, like, uh, like, well, I mean, not Twitter, cause I wouldn't consider that a media source, but in YouTube, there's definitely like some quote unquote reasonable sources. You got your NBC, you've got your big productions out there. Right. Um, I, and increasingly those are becoming less reliable as well. I've gotten, I got enough ads for this that I finally was like, all right, fine. I'll try your one month. Uh, and it was for the new paper. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen ads for it around, but basically what it is, is just this little startup. And the idea was that they, they don't even have like a proper platform for it. There's no comments or anything. All it is, is just that you sign up, you pay a fee and it's basically just a newspaper that they text you every day. Every morning they will text you and it will be like three sentences on each topic and it'll be like 10 topics. And each of them has a link where you can go to learn more. And they vet all the links and they vet all the information and it's as like fact-based as possible. That's an interesting approach where I would still consider that a platform. It's not a social media platform per se. It knows its role. It's a news platform and that is what it's trying to be. It's trying to be clear, succinct, and I think that, that might be the way forward. If we can find a way of getting people on the same page through things like that. 
I wish I could show you my phone right now, but basically it's just, it gives you one through 10 in a text every day, super simple. And it just shows you like, for example, I don't know, a uh, military coup in Myanmar, um, something, something about it. This is what they did so far. Here's a link to learn more if you want. And it's that, that's it. That's all that they write about it. There's no opinion pieces. There's no Trump tweets attached. And I think that that's the kind of approach, um, uh, in addition to the financial incentives and everything that we've talked about, that can help us get out of this rut. Something yeah. where we can get people on the same page. That's, that's actually great because... Um I'm subscribed to a newsletter. Well, I'm subscribed to a few things to keep up with stuff. Uh, one of them is called Tangle. Um, it's just one guy who like gives the best arguments from two sides and then his own point of view, if you'd wish to read that. Um, also, I have like an app called Ground News, which is basically just an aggregate of news sources. So if there's a big story popping up, you can read things from a lot of different news outlets. Uh, then other than that, like I listen to a weekly podcast called Left, Right, and Center. You can imagine what that's about, just people from the left, right, and center. And then sometimes a special fourth expert on something uh, discussing, you know, stuff in the news. Uh, and I really think, yeah, it starts with there, like nonpartisan th things or people who are willing to, to get together and have a good faith discussion and just let it all be heard. Um, like no, no BS, like no color, that just them. See, I think the... I think both of what you guys do are great, but the problem is that you guys are by no means the average person. Oh, no, 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 we are average. Pfft, no way, dude. Nah, like, I would never want to be average. I, <laughs> yeah, we're not the lead person. What I mean by person. that is that like, um, like, uh, the average person is going to put in that much effort to find their news, right? Because like the only, the thing is every single news source is going to be biased in some way based on like their life experiences based on like yeah. uh the context of the situation even if they're reporting the same facts they can be interpreted differently and even if you go to like you know if like if like your issue is like social media shouldn't be news and you should go to like proper news publications well then who, who funds these news publications like why why are they choosing to cover this particular story over another story like it's impossible to completely remove bias and the only thing you can do to mitigate bias is to just read many different viewpoints yeah i agree and it becomes an Definitely. issue of like you don't have time, right? To like read all these different viewpoints. Um, yeah. So then how do you convince people to do it, right? It just becomes an access issue. People are going to go for the path of least resistance. And I don't know, it, it's definitely tough convincing somebody to sign up for a newsletter, or listen to a podcast for an hour, then read news on their own. Like who, who's well, got so time for that? That's what I um, really like about the new paper. It's, I definitely agree that the best approach is to have a holistic view on everything. You know, you get all sides of the story. But, but seeing that there is a barrier for entry there because people aren't necessarily willing to do that, the second best way, in my opinion, to remove bias is to just keep it as succinct as possible to give them less space to input like opinions and things like that. So within like three sentences talking about one event and then a link to an article that they didn't even write, they don't write articles, they write these like summaries. How much bias can you really put? I think that you can put a decent amount. I think it's not totally gone, but I think it's way better than some other news publications. So that's what I found so far, which is a balance for me. I'm not willing to do what Philip does, for example. I haven't gotten to that mentality <laughs> yet where I see all these different sources. But for me, I'd rather do that than not be informed or be misinformed. I think that's better. Yeah. So it might be a starting point. But you're absolutely right, Rudy. And the question I guess then is, what do we think? We've talked about how to how to maybe try and fix the existing platforms like YouTube and Twitter and provide incentives for them to change things and uh, legalization. How do we, what do we think about new platforms like what we've mentioned that could come up or new approaches to, to the future, to, to how we make this entire situation better if it's not through these existing platforms? 
and it's hard. Well, I wish I knew because then I'd make a lot of money. Yeah, I was about to yeah, say I this mean, is this it, is the, I mean, startup the market question, is there. Right? The market is there. I think uh, Tangle is like, I mean, it's just run by one guy, but it grew to like eighty k a year because they have like a, a premium version, which is pretty good considering it's just some dude. Um, that sounds like it doesn't give it any credibility. The former, well, I think former and current reporter. Um, yeah, it's tough, dude. Any thoughts, Victor? It's tough. It if he had tough, the answer, man. he could, he could uh, hire us for a startup, right? Listen, if, make, if he says yeah, something brilliant, we'll just timestamp it. It's fine. <laughs> no, I, I agree with Rudy. Like, whoever creates this is going to be the next Zuckerberg. He's going to make billions, and they will fix enrooted issues in our society that, well, most people can't fix. So I don't have a solution to this. <laughs> I agree in moderation, yeah. and as you guys have been saying, getting multiple news sources, but there's yeah, no I mean, clear solution. <laughs> imagine lowering the barrier to entry to, like like news so much that it just eliminates the polarization in our country. That's a huge, that's a huge problem. Not just the How country, can, the world, man. The world? How can you solve that with such a simple product? Maybe you can. I'm, I'm no Zuckerberg. My IQ is probably not very high, you know, probably in the double digits here. But, um... <sighs> the new paper man. is the closest I've seen anybody get. Uh, I gotta check this thing out, dude. The new paper? I, I would give it a shout. It's called you the new what? paper. So I think it's a like subscription, right? It's a subscription-based It is, based but service, I think you right? might be able to try a month free if you seven like days. Uh, Seven days free, and then yeah. five bucks a month. You know, five bucks a month, not bad. It's nothing, like, See, too fancy. It's just a text. I think that the, uh, like, the, the access issue and the path of least resistance is, like, we just, we just need stuff like the new paper, for example, like, the type of... <laughs> content that they produce to be the type of content that people see on social media exactly that absolutely recommended because um people are already on social media they're gonna keep spending time on social media or like youtube or whatever and you know if if we could just figure out uh like the good stuff to recommend them which you know has huge caveats because it's subjective who decides what's good blah 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 but like if you know if that was the stuff that people were reading we wouldn't have this problem um and i think that yeah. at some point you can't read that but that's like that's the length of one article of like one description of what's happened today in the new paper mm. tell me what happened today <laughs> no. oh, I, I, I let me give you an example saying. the first thing so there's seven things on the list for today the first thing goes president biden announced that the u.s will end support for a saudi-led military offensive in yemen citing humanitarian concerns and calling for diplomatic efforts to end the ongoing conflict that's it and then there's a link to learn more I think that's like as not biased as you can get. It says he ended it, and this is what he said was the, his reason for ending it. And here you can learn more if you want. And that they're pretty much all like that. It just gives you a quick thing, and it's it's not the kind of thing where you're going to feel fully informed. You're going to still need to vet yourself more if you're going to have a, a you know interesting intellectual conversation about these topics. It's not going to give you the details, but it'll tell you what's going on. And for the average person, I think that's enough. As we've stated, the average person doesn't do this, but I do think something yeah. like this might be the future. Something that's simple, something easy. Do you think the average like person would also try to read in between the lines too much and, and see things that may not be there? Maybe. Like they would really inject their not, own but... bias onto it? I mean, it happens all the time to people just normally, you know. You might not even recognize that you're injecting your own bias yeah. into something. It just kind of happens. And then you just kind of have to like question why you think that. And, um, you know, maybe you'll be, maybe you're right. Vindicated to feel that way. Or maybe you'll be like, you know what? I shouldn't really feel that way because this and this reason. Nobody That's thinks very that interesting. 
Well, now no, you're bro. you're assuming that go. everyone is gonna like you know just put some critical thought into everything yeah. that they're reading. Bot, right? dude. A, big if. Bro, I, I I don't even read if it's not on a, a computer screen, bro. I haven't picked up a book in real life for like years. What makes you think I'm gonna read a, a text? Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I don't know. It's it's getting yeah. it's an interesting situation. Uh, so I guess. I mean, at this point, we've talked about sort of what these platforms' roles were at the start, why we, they were given the power that they did, how they grew the business model that sustained them. I mean, it pretty much built the internet that we know of nowadays. We talked about the ongoing problems as well as the ongoing successes of why these these platforms are, are great for the internet as a whole and really for society. I mean, it allows us to do some crazy stuff that wouldn't be possible without these downsides. So, and we've talked about kind of how we can fix it moving forward. So... I think the question is then just where do you guys, if you're going to like, I mean, I can't say you're going to summarize the issue. I mean, we just talked about <laughs> it for an hour and a half. Yeah. But, I think I'm going to need uh, two more of these <laughs> to summarize the issue. Dude, you'd need to like rap God through it. But, but if you're going to, if you're just going to tell us like a bit right now, what you think in conclusion of this, like, what do you think in this holistic issue moving forward right now, one person, I just want to get takes from each person, what we think about this issue moving forward yeah so i have to collect my thoughts dude so how about you go first gabe (laughs) i can go first i'd be happy to go first no way absolutely i have a lot of time to to think during this podcast because i don't talk as much as other people necessarily but um i know we're loud mouths here blabbering off about stuff people never care about so i think i think i've actually written about this before uh, just on my own and for like an essay here and there I really think this is one of the most, not necessarily platform um, liability and platform legality and how these platforms are used, but the idea of how information is shared is one of the biggest issues that we are seeing nowadays, I think, because I think it is leading to so many other like foundational issues in society where nothing else gets done because we can't get on the same page and we don't agree on what's true anymore. So I think it's one of the most pressing concerns that we have moving forward, honestly. I really think I do. And not only because I think it's really bad, really like a difficult situation, but also because it's not being talked about. So not only is it a a very hard situation to solve, but I think we're not even trying to solve it very much yet. Um, So that's my take on what the current state of things is. I think moving forward, if we could get financial incentives to play a role in this, to try to help make companies make a change and and all that, I think that would be great. I think that's the most reasonable way to fix things, maybe. Uh, I also think that's not going to happen for all the reasons that we've stated, that it's really hard to pass any sort of law anywhere about that right now for tons of different reasons. I also think that even if we were to pass that, the deep-rooted issue is more of a cultural, almost societal thing where people are willing to just focus on their viewpoints uh, and they're willing to accept things that might not necessarily be factually true because that's what they want to believe. But again, as we've talked about, that's almost just like a a quality of being human. Uh, It's, I mean, the platforms might help propagate that idea, but it's not necessarily their fault, even if it ends up being their responsibility to a certain extent. So I don't know how you even start. Like I'd need a, a PhD in psychology before I even start tackling that. So yeah, I think moving forward, we need to have some sort of change in the laws that govern these companies, which I don't think will happen. Um, and I think we need to have more conversations to at least try uh, to educate and culturally change our approach towards social media and towards platforms and towards news and media in general uh, so that we can try to tackle it from both ends at once. And both of them seem pretty hopeless to me right now, which is kind of sad. Damn. Told you, man. Generations doom and gloom. 
When I said generation, yeah, I, gen, I meant me. Gen, gen generation. D, you know, more like yeah. Gen D for doom and gloom, you know? Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll pitch in here. So my history teacher taught me about something uh, called thinking of things in, in three ways, politically, economically, and then culturally. So you know what? I'm going to use that framework to, to discuss this. So politically, something has to change here. Um, our legislatures are just, just like drenched in partisanship at this point. And uh, people are just going to have to be willing to work, work with each other, no matter how disgusting you might see the other side. Um, and that's tough. Like, that's just absolutely tough. Like, if imagine having to work with somebody that you disagree with fundamentally, and maybe they might even be like a terrible person or something. Like, like that's a lot to ask of somebody. Um, so we're going to definitely have to start there. And, and I mean, goes for the, for the, uh, the other way around too. Like, um, if you're so entrenched in the belief, you know, you, ha you have to be willing to straight out of it to get stuff done because sometimes that's what the nation needs. Uh, economically, uh, I think some social media platforms are going to need some sort of incentive to crack down on misinformation, else this problem is just going to get worse. And I think culturally, uh, people are just going to have to, I, I don't really know how to solve this problem, but um, be more open-minded about things, um, you know, second-guess things that they might, they might see online, um, and become more aware of their own biases going forward. Uh, which is a tough call. And uh, for people who are very entrenched in, in their thoughts right now, um, constantly question yourself. Um, why do you think these things? Why does this make you feel a certain way? Um, and is this based off of facts or, or misinformation or, or what? That's all I got for you. Wow, I have that's a, a short take. Okay, go <laughs> ahead. Um, take. Here we go. I just want to... to build off of what Gabe said about like, you know, it feels hopeless. Um, it doesn't have to be right. I think a, Let's go. a great, um, a first step is to do exactly what this is right now is talk about the problem, right? Like in my own experience, I, I used to be like, you know, politics is stupid. Like there's no point talking about it. And I I've completely 180 on that position, um, in the past couple of years. And, um, like, it's definitely good to, you know, make a space, like with your friends, or you know, somehow to like broach these kinds of conversations. Like, for example, my friend group, like we have a Discord that we talk to. We have a politics channel where like we'll post like current events or stuff that we're talking about or we're interested in and we'll discuss it. And those conversations are the first step to getting more informed and to like hear other people's opinions. And then, you know, the second step is once you are informed, be civically engaged, vote, run for office, do something to affect change other than just talking about it. Um, and if enough people do both of those things, then I think we can, we can feel confident in being hopeful. Yeah, I got to agree with that. Um, just to quickly add on, um, you might, you know, just talking to people, you might be surprised at how much you may agree with them, uh, as much as you may disagree with them, you know. Um, there's definitely always common ground to be had. Um, and it just makes things so much more productive. You know, you see people who disagree with you as, you know, another person, which is what we really need more of in, in this country, you know. Mm -hmm. Rudy, it's too easy for you to say, man. You're an ancient being. You've seen the rise and fall of society. <laughs> you are right? right. Like, he was there when Rome fell. Like, how, for 50,000 like, <laughs> years, I thought politics was fully uh, yeah, yeah. civically engaged. And then this in little the America 2000. came along. Oh, you're kind of involved. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this whole America arc yeah. wasn't too bad, really. <laughs> yeah, kind of filler, yeah, yeah. but yeah. yeah. It was Rome's problem, too. They didn't talk enough. 
<laughs> you tried to advise them, but they didn't listen. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Victor? Yeah. So, pick it, first of all, I agree with what all of you guys said, and picking up on the history, because I quite like to study history, humanity tends to self-correct when we fall into pitfalls. So I like to believe that this is just another pitfall and we're going to get out of this. Yeah, it gets worse and before of course it gets we better. Do this. <laughs> exactly. Like, so we cyclically get bad. Like, if we go through history, there are cycles of times where humanity starts to diverge and polarize. And of course, some of these have ended in conflicts that were terrible. And I have, I really hope that never happens again. And that's a whole other topic. But the fact is, Humanity always pulls through, and we get there by talking, by approaching these issues, by actually starting doing stuff instead of just throwing uh, a hot flame against the people that we see as our enemies. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Whoa. That was a lot of words to say. I was born in exactly the wrong generation of upheaval. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, let's be born in the generation of upheaval, you know? That sounds like fun, right? Where everything's going downhill, but we have to push this huge rock up the hill like Sisyphus. Get me out of the cryo chamber in like 200 years, all right? I'm yeah, not about you know to what? deal with this. Yeah, I just, want, I just want the futuristic 2077 utopia, you know? Well, Come on. I think it's important for us to be on the side because... Again, I believe that we can live this world in a better place. And we live in interesting times, Vitor. We do, yes. And I, I wouldn't want to be I wouldn't want to be born in another time. Exactly. <laughs> Let me I tell 100 you. I 100 agree with that. So you know, but we'll get there slowly. We're and gonna do it, game. Uh, we're gonna, we're do, gonna it. do it. This is it. Hotspot is gonna change the world, guys. You heard <laughs> it from Rudy. Rudy said so. So it must be true. Um, no, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Rudy's my my source of media. Whatever Rudy says, I take as the yeah, word of God. Rudy is um, gospel. Um, yeah. But, but something I wanted to point out as well is is that whole idea of it being hopeless. You're absolutely right. It doesn't need to be hopeless. But I also think part of it is we need to we need to just take this one step at a time. If you look at it as too like like holistically big problem, billions of people involved, it really is hard to to see the clear path through. You start by helping one person, then you do ten, then you do a hundred, then you start you know affecting your local community and your town and your city and your country, and you work up from there. And at the end of the day, this isn't something we're going to fix overnight, and it's certainly not something we're going to fix in an hour and forty four minutes of a podcast with four college students, three college students. Um, and so and a Microsoft employee and a Microsoft employee, <laughs> a Microsoft so, employee. Ugh, they never fix anything. Maybe with like more Microsoft employees. But Amanda, we'll yeah. Remember Should've Windows Savannah and Emmy, mm. Windows mm. Vista. They make more problems than they solve, dude. But, but so yeah, I think we head. need to just think about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely Rudy's fault. He was there for that too. Um, but yeah, so I think we just need to remember that this is a long-term thing. This is something where it's going to take a lot of people working together. It's going to take a lot of struggles. There are going to be two like days where it's you know one step forward, two steps back. But this is this is a, a long-term thing that needs to happen. We need to get back on the same page. We need to learn to work together again as a species almost. So as long as we keep that in mind, definitely not hopeless. Can't wait to see you guys in the nuclear winter. Oh yeah, it'll be great. Uh, so I think with that, we've kind of pretty much gone through it. We've talked about, it's gone more from platform liability to like platform legality and platforms in general. Uh, and that's what the whole idea of this was. Uh, don't know what we'll end up titling this, but we'll figure it out. Um, Yo, we, we went <laughs> everywhere with this thing. We thought yeah. we were going to the beach. Dude, we sailed into the ocean. <laughs> Listen, I'm fine with that. It's a deep ocean of, of blue, blue thoughts, but we'll make it work. And uh, I guess I guess we're pretty much ready to wrap up. Do you guys have any closing thoughts or comments or anything else that you want to say on this topic? I'm just going to second what, what Rudy said then. Like, definitely, like, 
do your part. Like, go talk to people. Stay informed. Be willing to run for office. Be willing to make change, you know? Be be the change you want to see. Sorry, what was, what was the Rudy quote from earlier? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The, the, the Gandhi quote. Be, uh, be the change you wish to see in the world. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Rudy quote. Rudy 2021. There you go. Um, <laughs> Wise so, words. That's pretty much it. Thank you guys for coming. Thanks for coming out as guests again. It was great having you guys, Philip, as well, for being here. And I think with that, we can wrap up Hotspot.